Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is another episode of The Three Questions uh, with Andy Richter, which is me. And uh, my special guest tonight is someone that I have known for a very long time. It's practically family to me at this point. Uh, and it's Mike Sweeney, uh, who is a longtime uh, head writer on the Conan show. Now, what is your title now, by the way? Yeah, what is it? I guess writer, <laughs> producer. Yeah. Well, tell people I said, yeah. tell people what the difference is between what you used to do and what you do now. Um, because well, now is much now is much better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, let's just the the bad thing has gone away. I um, well, I was head writer for fifteen years, which I think is. A sign of uh, mental illness on my part. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to be the head writer of a late night show that long. It is a sense. But, uh, it's a sense of it, it, it's a, a indication of competence, of uh, of skill, of uh, of people skills, and also uh, something really, really wrong with you. Very, very yes. wrong, uh, and that should be really at the top. The kind of list. the kind of codependence that you only find in someone. Who has <laughs> who has made the choice to become someone's sidekick for the rest of their life? <laughs> that's oh. that's another kind of sickness. Yeah, but you took a big break there. I did. I did. I took some yes. time off and came crawling. Much back. more mature. <laughs> came crawling back. <laughs> so much, so much wiser and more mature <laughs> yeah. the second time around. Well, now, but um, but it did. It yeah. got crazy because you were having to when Conan started doing a lot of these road remote kind of specials right and then, you mean like w weekly yeah i mean like shows in different cities no i mean like going to oh. armenia you know oh the travel yeah right. the travel shows right, right 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 but also too every time he had an extracurricular thing like right giving out awards at the kennedy center honors yes. or something right, you right, kind right. of had to accompany him on that stuff yeah i, I would like the uh white house correspondence dinner in 2013 is kind of wrangling that and but um the travel yes going to an, like being in armenia i remember that because all all the writers were still working while we and they were writing beats for things and so i'd like it'd be 10 a.m in armenia and i'd be like oh or, or no it'd be 11 at night and i'd be like oh everyone's showing up at work now so i've got to make sure i've gone through all their pitches 
and pick things. And it was crazy to yeah. do both jobs. I remember, I think it was, because I think it was, because the only one I've ever been on is Berlin. And I think we were flying back from Berlin right. after having shot a whole remote. And you right. were on the plane having to get ready. And it was, you know, it's like Sunday. And you're right. having to sit there and get ready, Monday show ready on the plane ride back from Germany. Yeah, yes. And that was But you know what? I, like, I just, yeah, but you know what? I had that muscle built up where you're just, there's always another show coming. Yeah. So um, I was just like, okay, the, air, uh, the plane ride home is when I'll figure that out. Mm. And you just have, because you, that was the hardest adjustment was there's a show every day at tapes at five thirty. It has to, something has to happen at five thirty. Yeah. And cause I'm, I'm man from school age on, I was a terrible procrastinator. Yeah. And that kind of beat it out, beat it out of you. Yeah. I, some, some, I can only get things done if someone else has set a deadline for me. That's just, that's how I, yeah. Like it, I'm, I, I, I in the same way, like, I will work really hard, but someone has to tell me to work. Really yeah, hard. yeah. If I'm in charge, it's it's really bad. I, Very yeah, bad. I and I, I, I still at this age figure. I, I think like, well, I've got to change that, but I don't know if it's if I'm right. capable of it. I mean, I do. As time has gone on, I've gotten sort of more. I it, because I've had to be in some way. Uh, right. like more self-directed, but I don't know whether I should just go with it, just or, go with or, it. Steep, or keep trying to fix it. I am agony. This has been my agony for years and years. And my therapist, I feel, I just feel so bad. I should just cut him loose. Cause it's like <laughs> the same old, you know, I, I want to be doing more, but then when I, I'm left to my own devices. I don't do anything. Oh my and God. Can you make a I, tape so I can play it for my therapist uh, so he can just hear it God. in a different voice? <laughs> why don't we, why don't we switch therapists? They would never know for a while. They'll, it'll be, it'll probably be the exact same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It'll be like, uh, Mike, I mean, Andy, um, <laughs> please. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. I, I, at the exact same crossroads, just lean in to being a, a lazy piece of shit and just go with it. <laughs> well, I prefer to think of it as uh, uh, other directed, like I'm directed yes. by others. Like I'm such a fucking empath and I'm so devoted to my fellow man <laughs> that I, that's why I'm a lazy slob because uh, I'm just waiting for someone to give me the permission to reach my you, full potential. All your energy is going to other people. Yeah, yeah. And you're not saving that time for yourself. How did that happen that you change that you switched from being the day-to-day head writer to then uh Matt O'Brien oh. came in to do the day-to-day show and right. you're sort of left to do more sort of you're like an emeritus I, um, now. You do the, right. the travel shows and very funny written bits. You'll come in every right. every now and Once then. Once in a while. Yeah. Yes, when someone tells me to do it. <laughs> and uh um I you know what? It was like 2015. I I was just like I can't just keep doing this head writer job. It's just cra- crazy. You know what it was? We we did a week of shows at Comic-Con. And every time we ever 
you know, like we do a week of shows in Chicago, we do a week of shows in New York, we do a week of shows in San Francisco. The crap, yeah, I mean, you know what it's like. Those, yeah. There's like 3,000 people in the audience. They go insane. When you walk out right before the show starts, there's a roar. You think the roof's going to fall in. And then the show starts, it's insanity. And the first night of those weekly shows, I would always get a tingle up my spine. And I remember at Comic-Con, we had all this great comedy. The rehearsals went very well. The crowd was going insane, and I, I, it's the first time I didn't have the old excitement. Yeah, and I was like, Ugh. it. I, I remember that. I was like, oh, this, this isn't ideal, you know. I, like the that crazy tingling excitement was gone. So yeah. I thought, was that the first Comic Con that we did? Yeah, that was like in 2015. Yeah, because we've done. Yeah, haven't we done like four of them? Four or five. Yeah, I think. four or five. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of dwe- dwelt on that for a while. And and also it was really hard. He wanted to be doing more travel shows. And I was like, well, it's really hard to do that and the head writer yeah. job because it's very time. So I just went to Conan and um, proposed, what if I stopped being head writer and just worked on the travel shows and any outside stuff you're doing? Like um, he he hosted a, <laughs> do, do you remember when he hosted the Nobel Peace Prize concert? Yes. In Oslo. In Oslo. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that was a ton of work though, but it was also one of my favorite things ever because we were at, <laughs> we were at the Nobel Peace Prize award <laughs> ceremony. It was him, me, Jason Shalemi, our field producer, and like, you know, our camera guys and Jason Munoz, our, our sound man. And, we were just like, we're all, we thought we were going to get arrested and tossed out of there. <laughs> but, and then he had to host a show for like 8,000 Norwegians in this cavernous arena at, it was, it was crazy. It, well, I mean, when you think Nobel Peace Prize <laughs> concert, you go right to Conan O'Brien. <laughs> He's got to be there. Yeah. You know, you know what? <laughs> I think they stopped doing the concert the year after we did it. <laughs> who, who were the Although, bands? It went, who I, were the it bands? Went, or was it like bands of oh, like physicists that all, had a, <laughs> a, a Beach Boys cover band? I was, I, Sting was there. I remember Sting was there. He's fun. And, he's like a really good yeah. sport. He's done a lot of stuff with us. That, yes, I, he's, uh, he loves comedy. And um, I learned a lot about the Nobel Prize. I didn't realize the Peace Prize was only in Norway. And the other ones are all in Stockholm, Sweden. Did you know that? No, I didn't. And I wonder why. Um, for some reason, they decided to throw a bone to Norway. Wow. I don't know why. So they're like, <laughs> we'll give you the Peace Prize. Yeah. So they have this building that's made just to pick the Peace Prize winner once once a year. But there's a whole giant building. It, it, the whole thing's a sham. They got to be able to rent that out for weddings and stuff, though. <laughs> that that's a great idea. You know, I mean, come on, you can't have that all the way around. Yeah, um, no, it, it's a giant waste of space. Anyway, well, it's, um, I mean, I was I was happy that you did that, not just for you. I mean, I miss you right. in the day to day running of the show because it's really gone downhill. Yeah, steeply. yeah, it's been deeply. Oh, um, but. Uh, I was very, I was happy that that happened because I know, like I say, on a plane with you riding back on a first class Lufthansa 
flight, which is which is right. ridiculous. And right. then you're there working, and I felt like, oh my god, what a Mike's, what a waste. Mike's got a shitty life. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know that Berlin show is one of it's to me. It's, and other people have said it's it's the funniest. I, I think it's the funniest travel show. Uh, that there's Conan with the dominatrix, yeah, which is hilarious. And then the the scene you did with Conan, where um, with the you took a shoe plotler dance, yeah, the lesson. slapping dance, right. And you and Conan are in Lederhosen, um, and they're being you two are being tr- well. Everyone had been drinking, yes, an hour. Which was helped make it yeah. extra fun. Well, we were literally in the Hofbrau. We were literally in right. like one, uh, in the Hofbrau, and the, and the place is pretty much closed. But the people working there, are like, you want some beer? Like to all right. of us, like, oh yeah, sure, why not? I mean, you it's it. what we do. Yeah. All we do is serve beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let us do what we do yeah. for you. And then you guys got a lesson from two twin twins, or they were brothers. they were brothers and their dad. We didn't know that the musician who was playing with him was their dad. Yeah. And like, I, I hired this musician. They said, Oh, they, they, they've got a guy. And then the guy turned out to be their dad. And he was kind of, you know, it, it just became as you two both zeroed in on the sordid family relationship yeah, yeah. of this father playing accordion. Yeah. And these two sons slapping each other's ass for money. Yeah. It was, um, it was, yeah, it was a fun thing. And, and that yeah. dad guy, was wonderfully unimpressed with any of our oh. of our shenanigans and also like it was a great street yeah and he really he was like hey you got to do you know if you're going to do this shoe slapping folk dance you got to do it right you know like right it's like it, yeah no he was all business which was exactly what you want it was the perfect perfect who would think a german would be a good straight <laughs> a good straight yeah yeah a, a german uh, who's celebrating small town culture right. small town right. german culture um, yeah so i'm glad i'm not doing that anymore matt o'brien's doing a great job and you know what i like when i watch rehearsal now it's like oh my god because that used to be me in the hot seat yeah next to conan who's between you and conan you're super sharp. He's crazily sharp. And, you know, all the comedy bits kind of have to, you know, you and Conan are usually seeing them for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, they have to pass muster with you guys. And it's, it's brutal. There's so many times I was really confident about stuff. I'm like, they're going to love this. <laughs> it would just blow. It would just get zero laughs in rehearsal and it would it kind of cracked me up because it's like of course yeah of course yeah and you know it'd be like what are we gonna do on the show today <laughs> yeah no that was that was um for my evolution you know i mean because i i had acted before but i had never really done right. well and I, I had worked on a pilot for a tv show are you talking about before you started before i started on late right night. but that process of figuring out the comedy and and being well in a way being brutal about it like just being like no i'm sorry that yeah. doesn't work and and yeah and realizing early on like that that's the way it has to kind of be because yes. you don't have you any want it time. To be good. And you know, if you want no. it to be good and you don't have no. any time to be 
there's to for to assuage feelings. It's like no, no, no. this is or the or just the sort you know like the well, we got to make this work. It needs a new ending, you know, and then we got to right. think of an ending. And yes. I going from that out here to L.A. when I came out here to do sitcoms. Right. I realized very quickly that when somebody makes a pitch and it's not really good, they go, they'll be like, well, that's a really good idea, but I think we could maybe right. do it where I was just like, nope, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like, what a dick. But I mean, oh my God, but I was like, who's, who, you know, who's this horror? Well, and then, and then there also too, is the sitcom, the, uh, oh. the, the sitcom fake laughter that happens. Oh my God. At rehearsals and stuff where. You know, like for every joke, the la- the writers are like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" It's I had never the. Go ahead. I, yeah, no. The first time I'd ever encountered that was at late night, and it was in my office, and someone put a tape in in the outer room, and, and I've never heard laughter like this—the most explosive laughter—and it was a table read for a sitcom. Yeah, and I thought it was—I thought it was fake. Yeah, I'm like, this is fake, right? And they're like, no all the writers laugh but it but it was such fake it's yeah who who like who falls for that and, but, well they all do and then they all and then if you don't you're a dick like i would oh my god yes. i wouldn't laugh at things i could see that and writers would sort of after a while come up to me like wow you're really tough to make laugh and i'm like no i'm not no i'm not you know and i mean and then there's other things too where i think writers (laughs) they give you something and you read it you go like oh that's really funny but you know because well that's common yeah it's like people going oh yeah that that'll work that's great or that'll work oh that's great yeah you know and and i always think it's like i don't know what out out here it just seems like here in la yeah out here in la it just seemed like people it's like magicians going, ooh, ah, like to each other's magic <laughs> tricks. It's like, they, we know. They never catch on. <laughs> it's a gimmick. To, Relax. To where the bunny is. Yeah, yeah. Wait, you wrote, and it, they're the ones who wrote the magic trick. That's the, I know, I know. I, it's so self-serving. It's like, that's fantastic. I know. I went, I'll, one of my first, yeah. I was on um, uh, uh, Just Shoot Me. Uh, yeah. when Marsh McCall, who was a head writer on the Conan show right. was a head writer there. And I got a, uh, I did a guest spot on mm-hmm. that. And, um, I was sitting, we, there was like one of the run throughs, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it was, the, well, we had done the table read and this was, and then you rehearse all day and then they were going to do a run through for the writers. And it was right. after lunch and Brian Posehn and I were sitting backstage, like behind the set kind of in semi-darkness, just like reading or sitting there, kind of chilling out, waiting for our time. And I heard them all on the other side of the flat come in and start the rehearsal. And it was a scene with George Siegel and David Spade. And um, they start, you know, and you hear the kind of, you hear the dialogue start, start. And then the first laugh line comes and the the loud burst of laughter actually startled me. Because it was like the fifth <laughs> time, the, the fifth the time scene. that we'd all heard this fucking joke. And they're oh all like, ah! like <laughs> oh, man, that's exactly what it, the laughter. Sounds yeah. Like too. And I, it's- the thing that kills me is how do you know? How do you know when there's a wolf if everyone's saying wolf all the time? Yes. You know, it just well, I never understood with sitcoms where. You know, they they do a scene several times and they kind of tell the audience, hey, you got to pretend you didn't hear it. It's like, yeah, 
what? No, that's not. But it's to me, I I would just be like, oh well, we well let's come up with something else because. But you know, it's just kind of they ram it into the ground. Yeah. Well, and I did find doing multi camera sitcoms yeah. out here that the audience really wants to help. Like they're just there sure. to help, so they yeah. will laugh every time. Yes. As you know, yeah. But that's different. That's like you're asking the townsfolk to help us do this barn raising. <laughs> And the barn is a sitcom, but it's, but I mean, it's like, I, we shouldn't be laughing at it, but no, no, no. And that's like going back to the late night thing. It literally like there was no time. You're right. There was no time. And that, that was like when something went great, there was no time to kind of like, Oh, look what I'm, look what I did. And that kind of, like there was no glory lap, but on the other hand, when, when things bombed, like you wrote something and it bombed in rehearsal, you were also very grateful to move on quickly. Yes. And like, you know, there wasn't time to dwell on that. No, either. no. As uh Tommy Blatcher, who's one of the writers on the show said, you said you pitch it once. If somebody says yeah. no, let it go. Unless you really think that it's really great, then pitch it a second time. And yes. if it gets turned down a second time, then let it go. And that's that is a very good rule. Yeah, do not. I I, I know people pitch the same thing, and it's like, what do you do? Everyone remembers the first time you did yeah. it. Yeah, and and no one no one went for right. it. Right, and it's you're not helped. It's just you start looking. Some for there are some ways. some writers that I've come across who uh, part of <laughs> their a uh, component of their of their sort of you know, makeup in writing comedy is that there should be some justice, you know, like, like, wait, this is the best joke. And everyone's like, I'm sorry. It just, it isn't, you know, and that is, that's one of my favorite things. Yeah. I'll never forget because I was doing stand up at the time when everyone was, um, you know, it's like, who's going to replace Letterman? Who's going to replace Letterman? And I was, you know, working at clubs in New York and stuff. And we're, out one night after, you know, you'd go out to a diner every night and it was like two in the morning. And th- I guess they had flown all these comedians to LA to audition for Lauren Michaels. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was a week later and it's like, who's it going to be? And the, they, we found out that night it was a guy named Conan O'Brien, not a stand up. He was a writer and all. All the comedians were outraged. Yeah. Like, he didn't do, he didn't go through the clubs. And I was just like, ha ha. It's not a law firm. <laughs> You're not making partners. Right, right. It's show business and people, anything can happen. Like, that to me is the first thing you learn is there's no fairness. Mm-mm. There's no, or, or your perception of what should be fair. Throw that out the window day one. Yeah. And just enjoy the, the good with the bad. Cause it's all going to be insane. Yeah. And I, I just, I remember I'd never heard of him and I was just delighted that a non-comic got the job. Yeah. I, yeah. It just, cra- and they were outraged. <laughs> and you know what? I've dealt with writers on shows exactly what you're saying, who the same way, like they would be mad if a joke that they thought was great didn't get on. Yeah. And then they'd come to me as head writer and go, can you, can you laugh harder at this joke? And I was like, no. Oh boy. Like when we read it in front of Conan, I'm like, no, 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 no. Wow. I'm not going to do that. I can't wait till we're off 
off podcast and I can ask so you I- exactly who it was. Because <laughs> I have some guesses. Uh, uh, sure. <laughs> well, now you're justice. You're uh, yeah. you're not a Californian. You're you're from New Jersey, correct? I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. And you're yes. from a uh, Irish Catholic household, correct? Well, yeah. I yeah. I didn't grow up with any sense of being Irish or Catholic. Catholic. I was Catholic. Yeah. I guess, but but not. I, I never went to Catholic school. Yeah. I always went to public school, and so I had to go to Sunday school where I didn't. You know, I paid zero attention, and so yeah. But um, it's funny. It's like. As I became an adult, I would notice things uh, and I'd be like, oh, I'm Irish, like personality traits, you oh. know, like being paranoid, <laughs> paranoid right. or, or, or never forgetting, you know, if someone crosses you like that, yeah, like yeah. I'd see this in other people and I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Or and like abs- possibly drinking abs- <laughs> or- <laughs> and abscesses of rage that even you didn't know were there that all of a sudden come out. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. I hit a pocket here and I'm angry about something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, but I, I I just it was like a very white suburb of New Jersey and um and you, so it was very generic. Like I thought everyone was Catholic and Jewish. That's the makeup of the neighborhood I grew up in. Yeah. And I thought I'd never met a wasp. I think there was a guy who was a Methodist in high school, and I, I thought he was like a persecuted minority. <laughs> I a unicorn. I just thought everyone was Catholic or Jewish. Yeah. So that was it. And yeah. you have two sisters, right? Is that right? I have two older sisters. Yeah. So I was the baby. You're the baby. And yeah. were you treated as such? I was totally, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, like when I we finally were going to have a child, I wanted a girl because I, I felt like, Raised by women. Yeah. Because my father really wasn't around. So it was mostly my mother and my two sisters. And that's what I was used to. And I never had a brother. So uh, I just assumed. I always more comfortable around the female yeah. gender yeah, yeah. than the male. But um, yeah. I mean, I had, I mean, I, I've told you before, I had a crazy upbringing. Yes. I mean, every everyone that's had a crazy but upbringing. But no, but yours is. I mean, just just throw out a few of the details. I mean, I don't, um, you know. Show enough of my penis to win the longest <laughs> penis. <laughs> the, what? The Milton Berle. The, that old Milton Berle joke. Oh, you've heard that. oh, right, right. Right? That's, right, right. Yeah. Just take out yeah. enough to win. Yeah. Just just enough to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, no. Uh, well, I just, you know, um, there- my mother had something called... Uh, dissociative identity um which used to be called multiple personality disorder mm. they changed the name for some reason i i guess well isn't it because the multiple personality is kind of like not entirely apt that it's like it's not necessarily i think you're right yeah i think you're right like i remember seeing that show the united states of tara do you remember that yeah show? or sybil Where- sybil was the first one Sybil was the first yeah. one, but then United States of Tara tried to make it like, like the husband, like they started buying outfits for her different characters, mm-hmm. the wife's characters. And I was just like, Oh, that's not I, how oh it works. Yeah. I would, yeah. It's no, no one's hanging around for fun time. <laughs> there are no fun times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we didn't know that when we were little, we just knew that, um, 
I mean, in hindsight, it's like, oh yeah, those were different personalities. But she would just set off on this rage at my father that would always culminate in in violence. So you knew it was coming and she had like she'd start grabbing butcher knives mm. and chasing uh like it literally i i used i, I you felt like you were in a cartoon because it was you know a house where the dining room's connected to the kitchen which is connected to the hallway to the living room to the dining room and you'd literally be running around in a circle in a with circle. her ch- chasing you and you're like should i should i cut back the other way or you know it i mean it was it was terrible we were kids so it was terrible yeah yeah and then she turned us against our father because he was an alcoholic so she's like i act this way because because your father the way your father behaves and you know if he would only act normal and stop drinking i wouldn't act this way Mm. and you know we were like i was 10 years old you she brainwashed us basically yeah my sisters and i and we all just believed her and then she'd turn us against him so we, then our job was like if she got mad at him we'd have to kick him out of the house and wire the doors shut so he couldn't get back in oh my so god so that yeah and then he'd go sleep in a flop house somewhere um and he had a big power he was the director of research for a pharmaceutical company wow and he was the mayor of our, our town what yeah i didn't know that which, yeah, it's like a part-time job. Yeah. It's like a small town. So, um, you know, uh, he's supposed to like, you know, supposed to be in like the Memorial Day parade the next day and he's sleeping out in the car in the driveway because he got kicked out of the house. Wow. It, yeah, yeah. So. Well, did the did the police have to get called from time to time or? Uh, yeah, the police came sometimes. Because I would met you like, oh, I got to go out to the mayor's house again, you know? Yeah, no, it was... Um, yeah, but you know, I was brought up that you didn't talk about it, so I never told anyone about any of this stuff till I was like I li- I ended up living at home taking care of her till I was 26. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. No, it was bad. I mean, I think about cuz I I lived through you know like a there was a period of major dysfunction and violence in my childhood. But it was uh-huh. not, you know, it was like within a certain set of t- amount of time. Right. But what I think back on is just, and something that I've thought about, you know, when you hear about kids living in a situation like that, or just in a situation with an unreliable parent who can explode. Uh, right. Just the sense of never, never being able to be relaxed. To always, always feel uptight going into the place where you're supposed to feel most secure and most safe. And that's got to, you know, I mean, did you feel that? Or was it like times where you felt, you know, you're living on eggshells because you didn't know when this person might go crazy? All the time. Yeah. All all the time. And and, uh, we were all like that. And it's... And it was hard to predict what would trigger. Um, it was literally like setting a lighting a fuse, a long, really long fuse, and you knew when it was lit. Uh, and you it was you could never really predict when it was lit, and then you knew it was just going to build and build. And the tension of the 
building to when the violence started. I mean, there were times I we would like it, things would erupt and it would be close to bedtime, and then you'd go up and try to go to sleep. And I would literally push furniture against the door so I could sleep because I knew like at 1 a.m. she was going to come up, you know, with a, a knife or she'd go to the garage and get like a pitchfork or something. I mean, really dramatic or an ax. Like once my sisters and I were locked in the upstairs bathroom and she was chopping, she was doing the shining. She was chopping through wow. the door and we were, we we're, we're, I was looking out the window, like trying to figure out how, how badly we'd get hurt if, you know, we had to jump. But, um, there, there is one, there's one time I finally, uh, uh, kind of, this is years later. I mean, that's, that's when we were young teens, but like when I was, um, I was living, uh, just with her and I must've been 23 or 24 and go, I was, it was starting to really screw with my head. And I, there was one night where I was just like, you know what, that is it. And I, I just had it. And I went downstairs to the garage and I got, I got a chainsaw I came up to the room, the TV room where she's sitting. I started the chainsaw. And I was just like screaming, like, you like it? How do you like it? You know? And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I'm gonna kill you. And she just looked at me and laughed. And I was I, I was just like, wow, she's she's a good super villain. Wow. She's impressive. And I I'll I'll I mean, it's hard. I, it helps me to say it out loud, but I owe my I was on the edge of killing her wow. and I've never, I, uh, I was very close and, um, never before or since obviously, but I, uh, turned my chainsaw off and put it downstairs, but I, I had to pull myself back from it. And that, you know, that it, what it makes me think, like, sometimes I'll hear about teenagers who are in an abusive family and they, they kill their uh, father-in-law or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I always, it upsets me so much because from my own experience, I understand that when you're in that nuclear family, you don't know there, you don't know you'll ever be able to just escape from it. It seems so obvious. I mean, yeah. Looking obviously, but it seems like there's no way out. Like it's just, this is it. When you're in it yeah, and yeah. you're young, you, and your parents have always been dominating like that. You don't see a way out. Yeah. And well, I think also too, you, you're living in a perpetual fight or flight state. Right. And there's no, there's no, you know, that right. there's no room for conceptualizing. Like you can't in the middle of a fight or flight state think, what will my life be like in two years? You know, right. you're oh, just, no. you're just no. thinking about now, now yeah. I'm either going to die or I'm not going to die or right. now, you know, like just, or, and not even so much die, just the world's right. going to end. You're going to end the, everything. Right. And I just don't think that there's any room for you to think in, in theoretical terms about the future. You just are in the now and that's, yeah. what, and that's, you're trapped there by these fucking crazy you, people. Yeah. Yes. By the way, I want to say I'm. I'm really good with the chainsaw and if need, uh, right. you know, brush cleared or sure. I 
do the job, right. uh, clean up and leave. They don't have to worry right. about any. And any when it comes to chainsaw, you can be a man of action, not just talk. <laughs> right. Right. You know? exactly. Yeah. My, my mother did call the police on me once um, around this time, believe it or not. Cause I, I, you know, I went to law school and I was studying for the bar exam and um, my girlfriend called up and my mother got on the phone and started calling her a whore. Mm. So I got upset and um, I kind of yelled at her and threw her up against the refrigerator and she, Oh, well she grabbed a butcher knife. So I, I knocked the knife out and pushed her against the refrigerator and she went into to her bedroom and called the cops and said, I was trying to kill her. So it was the night before the bar exam and I had a lot of studying left to do. And oh. Six, the this entire town's dizzy. All these oh police cars God. showed up, and I'm just like, oh gosh, this is gonna cut into my study time. Like, I, I literally was just recalibrating. Um, you know, when am I gonna when am I gonna finish studying torts if I have to deal with these cops? And you know, they all surrounded. Like, I came out to the the front port. I mean, I'm. It's. It's. I knew it was funny. I. I and but they all surrounded me. They're like, oh, don't, don't move, don't move, you know. And I, I'm like, okay, let's let's talk. Yeah, but you don't know. they know? I mean, haven't these cops been to this house before, and they know? Um, no, you know what? No, no one. Like the last time cops were there before that was like when I was seven or eight. Oh, was really oh, oh I yeah. See. So no, no, uh, we had all been. Um, we had been left alone. Like our none, no one in my family reached out to help us. Um, everyone was your dad gone. Your dad gone at this point. He died when I was 19. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was crazy too. Cause he died of emphysema and the last years of his life, he was on, um, those giant oxygen tanks. Mm -hmm. And, um, he ended up rooming with me in my room, but because we had been kind of brainwashed against him, I didn't talk to him for the two, the two years oh we were God. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but I would change his, you know, oxygen tanks for him. But I was, I literally thought he was the enemy and I wasn't allowed to talk to him. Wow. And then when he died, my sisters and I, this is how brainwashed we were. We thought my mother would be fine because he was dead. And so we were excited. We were happy. And, you know, of course, then. Instead of him being the main focus, we became the main focus oh. of all our craziness. And um, was there a revisionist history that he was a saint after he died? That kind of thing, or or was he still a bad? Oh, by uh, by the children, by your children? mom, by your mom. Oh no, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. She, but then she just turned on us, and and you know would, you know, she told us we could never leave, we could never move out. We had to, we owed it to her to make her. You know, she's a upset but we're it's all our fault and we're not doing our responsibilities around the house blah 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 and then like if you you know after a night of her being crazy and trying to kill you like if you she'd be like you seem upset today what what's wrong because she would be kind of she'd be a different person she'd forget she'd be like, what, what's yeah. what's what you know what what's bothering you and i was like well <laughs> you you know chased us around with a, a knife you and you tell her everything and she'd be like i don't know what you're talking about like she'd literally say i don't i don't know what you're talking and then two hours later she'd be like you know i thought about what you said and 
you just made that stuff up to get out of your responsibilities here. And, and then she'd build up from there and get crazy again. So, so you never got a, a, a moment. You, there was zero satisfaction. There yeah. was never even like, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry for what it, it was. You started to wonder whether you were hallucinating or not. Wow. It's just crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Now, why? And I mean, and this is something because I've known. I mean, I did. I knew, and you've talked before about these similar incidents. Um, and there are no repeats at this. <laughs> like she really, she had new programming all the time. And uh, but I'm. How do you come out of that as normal as you are? How do you come out of that as kind of an even keeled like? You're a, well, a wonder. I mean, from what I can see, you're a wonderful father. You're a wonderful husband. You were great to work with. You're a, a, a very much of like, you're just a very even, kind, thoughtful person. And you have every reason in the world to be a monster. I, well, I, I think when I was little, I was like the peacekeeper in the house. And yeah. so, you know, I try to make my mother laugh, you know, that old, old thing where, you right, know, I, right. I, but, but I think when she wasn't, having these episodes she was a very loving mother so you know i i i'm i'm, I'm telling you the dramatic stuff but I when she wasn't like that she was i think a really smart funny uh loving mother so i i think that's why um i i i felt kind of normal I, I and and my sisters too i mean we're super tight now because we went through this together so yeah but um did you all cope with it? Did your sisters cope with it okay? Yeah, too? I think we all I think we all did. That's I mean, incredible. I mean, I never told anyone about this till I was till I, I was like twenty four years old and I thought I was gonna get struck by lightning because it had been drummed into me. You never talk about what happens in your home, which is another Irish thing. Yeah. Uh but um uh yeah, but you know, then I started going to therapy and that that helped. But, yeah. And and stopped any relationship with my mother, like I'd invite her to her wedding and, you know, we just had, cause she was just really bad. You know, yeah, she was, I, at the time I considered her to be evil. I mean, but you know, obviously it's, it's severe mental illness. But, yeah. Did you ever but, get a, did yeah. you ever get a sense from her that she was aware that she was sick? No. And, um, years and years later, uh, I guess around 10 years ago, she was living alone. And, um, you know, I was just, it always ate at me. And I was like, I'm going to get a call that she's been dead for a month. And, you know, cats have broken into the house to eat her and all that stuff. And, and, and it, and it's going to end horribly. And I'm going to feel guilty, even though I shouldn't feel guilty. Um, oh, well, but then she hurt her back in the house and my sister's, um, got her to an emergency room and while they were treating her back, they were like going to the doc. Cause, cause we used to try to talk her into going to get mental to please, please go see a doctor. And she was like, there's nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. There's nothing wrong with me. You're making all this stuff up. None of this is true. Da, 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 da. It's all you three children are the problem now that your father's dead and blah, 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 blah. So they finally get her to a hospital and she's admitted for her, her injured back. And they're like, please, please, I don't know if they tipped them or what they did. They're like, please give her a psychiatric exam. And they, 
they they locked her up for two days and gave her all these tests and they said she had a very rare uh, form where she's never truly never understands that there's something wrong with her wow and they put her on all these medicines and they worked her the last two years of her life she was just the the good mother the whole time wow and i would talk to her on the phone and have a great conversation with her and i would hang up and I would literally be stunned for five minutes after each phone call in total. I just couldn't believe. And you know, when she uh, passed away, I I felt like um, it was a miracle that I was able to have end things on a very positive note. Mm. That was, that was uh, something I, I never saw that coming. Wow. Yeah. That I did not see that coming. So did you so, live with her through college when you went to college? Did you yeah, stay at home? Yeah, uh, because I commuted to Newark. <laughs> I drove down to Rutgers and Newark every okay. day. And and then I commuted to law school three years. And I didn't want to go to law school. My She was like, you're going to law school. And I was like, okay. And, you know, she like filled out the applications and she got me into some good schools. <laughs> and <laughs> she was a pretty great mom. <laughs> she got me into law school. Yeah. I never wanted to be a lawyer. And then I was like in law school that I was such a, I didn't know I could quit. <laughs> like I always wanted, ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to do something with comedy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time I was like, Oh, I'd love to do stand up, try stand up comedy. And I'm like, well, I'm in law school. Like, I don't know. I didn't know I could quit. So I went through law school and then I was. And became a, a lawyer. I was a trial lawyer in yeah. Manhattan for three years. Yeah. So I, I, that's when I finally moved out because, um, you know, I, I, it just. But yes, I lived home with her for seven years of college. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. when, um, what kind of lawyer, you were a trial lawyer for for what? Oh, the worst kind for an insurance company. Oh, but, so like you it, were the one trying to find out when people hurt themselves and sued somebody, you were the one that said like, you faker. Right. Yeah. And. The good thing about it was if if my client, whoever I was representing, was guilty of of hurting someone, I could just settle the case and get like money. And so the only cases I ever truly defended were ones where they were fake and there were a lot of fake ones. Oh, I and see. I I didn't know that. I was twenty five, I was very young and naive, and about people lying and, and I learned the the Plaintiff lawyers don't get paid unless they make money. Yeah. They get a third. If they don't make any money, they don't get anything. So they are very motivated. I mean, people, we found out like some lawyers would use old x-rays from, for, for, from other people. Even, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and witness there were, they'd hire witnesses to say they saw an accident there's one lawyer who got finally got caught. He was getting millions of dollars from the city because, and he and someone final finally figured out that it was the same witness in all these different trials. <laughs> and even then, even then, they couldn't prove it till they found out that one day he said he saw an accident. He was in Rikers Island in jail, and wow. then yeah, then finally 
like that that's the level of proof you need yeah to take down some of these <laughs> lawyers i mean they're unbe- they're unbelievable wow oh they're unbelievable yeah but uh so and they're yeah go ahead and and it, but you're what makes you finally go like uh, enough is enough i got to go do some comedy oh the the second i moved into the city i i was doing like trials during the day and i started doing stand up at night you had written I, material. Had you been writing material? Yeah. Or, uh, I started like- writing stuff. And then I found this, you know, um, small club called good times that like, it was kind of easy to get on stage there. And so I just started going there and going there. And, um, and then eventually I got into like the comic strip and catch rising star. And then I had no money saved. I had zero money and I just quit the law job. And I, cause I, when I was making like uh, $50 a week doing stand up. um, my rent was really low. I was like, okay, this is it. So I just quit. And, uh, um, I, I remember the last trial I did somehow the jury found out I was doing stand up, and they came to the comedy club after the trial. <laughs> the jury did. <laughs> yeah. The jury. Oh, did. that's awesome. Yeah. 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 It was a very good last trial. Cause the judge, like I used to crack, I used to make a lot of jokes in court and the judge in that case was like, he goes, you know, I, I feel you're not, long for the law profession. I feel like you're headed in a, and I, I was like, wow, that, that's nice of the judge to say. And, yeah. yeah. And, um, because the previous trial I did in federal court, the judge, I made like a joke to the jury and he called me up and said he was going to f- find me in contempt if I made one more joke to the jury. And I was like, well, what's the point of this job? Yeah. <laughs> If you can't make jokes, if you can't joke with the jury, yeah. But um, yeah. So I just quit, and then I was doing stand up. I did that for nine years before I I uh, started working at Conan. Wow! So that was so like was a whole that second. Long. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dur- yeah. Like from eighty six to ninety five. Wow. Yeah, in in New York City mostly, but I traveled a lot too. Yeah, stand up. I loved it. Because the first time I met you was in a very early remote bit that we did on this right. on the with Doug Llewellyn, who was the reporter yes. from the People's Court, right? And then and it was all new to me anyway. You know, I mean, it was all new to everybody, but it was just like, oh, there's this guy here who's a comedian, and I think it had been your idea. Is that why? Yeah, yeah. I I, I had done a submission and. Uh, Robert Smigel, who is really great to me, he said, look, I've already, we already have all the writers, but we like this one idea with Doug Llewellyn, where he would stand outside the courthouse downtown Manhattan and ask people, because he had just left the people's court. So now we had him asking people coming out of the courthouse, like, how do you think it went? Like the same thing he did on the people's court. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a pretty simple idea. But um, so that you guys shot that remote before late night, even started. even started yeah in august and smigel was very nice he invited me down to watch and i was terrified to show up and i remember meeting you i'll never forget because i met conan and he's all high energy he's like hey thanks you know blah, 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 blah. i was like oh he seems so, like a nice guy and then i met jeff frost the producer he's like hey you know and then <laughs> and then they're like oh and this is andy and you were on a bench just reading the newspaper and you kind of looked up like yeah who the fuck are you and i was like <laughs> oh my god who is this guy you were so self-possessed and 
I was very impressed by you right away. Oh gosh, thanks. It sounds no, like I'm seriously. A, sounds I, like I was, I was a dick, but no, you, know. you weren't a dick. You weren't a dick. I was like, that guy seems really cool. You oh, just thanks. not a dick. That that came later when you moved to LA. <laughs> did sitcom. Well, come but on, just, you got it. Uh, just very comfortable in your own skin. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh, that that guy's impressive. And, yeah, uh, I mainly just wasn't sure what was going on, and uh, <laughs> you know, probably right. it was a good article well, in the paper, and I wasn't sure why I was there, and you know, have you talked a lot about how you became the sidekick because you were hired to be one of the writers? And yes, I had. Yeah, I had mentioned it. I mentioned it before. I was okay. hired. All right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, uh, just in on the conversation because I was hired because I. Kn- I had met Robert Smigel through a right. friend right. when I was living in LA and we hit it off. And then he went, then I just, he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I'm going to, and I was the same thing. I'd heard, I was back in LA and I had, cause I had gotten the job on uh, the movie cabin boy. Right. And um, I just got a message from Robert. Hey, I'm working with this guy, Conan O'Brien. And I had just like, you know, like I sat, Jeff Garland invited me to a pilot taping that he did. <sighs> at, uh, yeah. And it was like, it was like some sitcom where he played a cop or something. I don't even remember. Right. But I, uh, Kate Flannery, who's an old friend of mine and I went yeah. and we sat in the audience and we were sitting in front of Bob Odenkirk and Carol Leifer. And I knew Bob kind of, but I sat and just eavesdropped on them. Talk about Bob's friend Conan getting the getting the late night job, you know? Right. And, right. um, and probably a little bit of, I'm sure there was a component of Bob being like, why isn't it me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause I, cause there was a lot of that. It's the same thing that you say about the standups. Right. I think everyone of it, you know, like between the ages of 21 and 37 <laughs> who had ever made anyone laugh was like, right. how come him? Why not me? <laughs> that should be me. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, everyone, everyone's that way now with Odenkirk, but instead it's about being <laughs> yeah, an action, about, an action movie, yeah, an action hero or Oscar right. winner or whatever. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Or in li- or in Little Women. Like, why wasn't I in Little Women? <laughs> oh my god, one of my favorite entrances. Of yes. All time. Hello, my Little Women, or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, and then I and that, so I was hired. I was the first writer hired, and there was mm-hmm. with the notion that I'd be doing some performing, and then it just evolved. And I think it was Robert's idea it just evolved into like robert saying when there were camera tests go sit next to conan and keep him company and talk to him and then i just would talk to him and also too we had worked up a you know like conan and i had worked up an act around the around the halls too like how much time how much time when you say you worked up an act how long had you guys been in the hallways probably three months probably three months yeah so I mean, this, you already had this kind of a, a good rapport. Of yeah, definitely. Him burning hot and you. Yes. Well, yeah. and also, too, you know, <laughs> like there was a, you know, he he he's an excellent guitar player and he practices right. all the time. We you and I know this. Yes. We and do. um, and he's much better now. But like in those days, especially when he would be learning a riff, mm-hmm. uh, everyone on the show would have to hear him learn how to play 
Right. You know, I don't know, you know, return to sender or whatever, you know, or some old but he'd rockabilly ask, song. He'd ask your permission first. Oh, no, no, no. He would just, he <laughs> no, would just pla- practice the same riff, you know, yeah. but he used to, he used to do this to people. And it's just now that you know him, it, it's just part of his right. like completely weird silliness and his, yeah. and sort of like, like having a child that needs Adderall kind of that. Right, thing. right, right. But he would just come up to people like and start playing guitar yes. and he singing did that to me. Yeah, and singing at them, and everyone yes. was like, "What do I do? What do I do? This yeah, is my I boss. Mean, t- what do I do?" Oh. And uh, yeah, but, but you had so you had that same thing. No, the same thing. I could keep going. I, and, and I, I was freaking out. Like yeah. I thought it was a test. And I was supposed to, am I supposed to dance? What right. do I, I, I was <laughs> I, freaking out. I, I mean, there were a couple of times where I was just kind of like, oh, okay, he, I guess right. he's just going to stand there and sing to me like he's a, right. like it's an Italian restaurant and he's a right. strolling violinist. <laughs> but what I started to do when he would do it is I would get up and like, yo, woo! <laughs> like, like clap and dance. Like it was a hoedown. And, uh, and then it, just, you know, and then it was just kind of, it was like, Whereas everyone else kind of just stood there and stared at him, but I was right. just kind of like, "Oh come you on!" You leaned into it. Yeah, it's like this. I mean, it's like when you know somebody's funny, and they're doing something that you're sort of, you know, like I just, I didn't feel like, "Oh, I got to treat him like the boss," right? You know, because I instantly felt like, "Oh no, he's just like me." You know, he's right. he's right. a guy cut from the same cloth as me, so right. I would want somebody to say. What the fuck are you doing? You know, <laughs> I and want that, someone to try to help me. Yeah, and then that and that just kind of evolved into my job, basically, right. which is to go like, <laughs> shut up, sit down. You know, when uh, when no one else will do it. Um, but yeah, but it was, and then, well, and then at that time, Robert was the head writer, and then right. he left, and Marsh was the head writer because they Marsh McCall, right? Yeah, there was. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's, but, and, and then, and then Marsh was there for a short while. And then Jonathan Groff was there for a long time. Yep. Were you hired when Jonathan was there? He or? and I started the same day. Oh, wow. And nine months later, he was a head writer. I was like, oh, I'm, I guess I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a little slow on the uptake here. <laughs> he, he just, bam. Yeah. Blew past everyone and became the head writer. And uh, he was great. He was, but I mean, but you guys both have, uh, well, you have what I think is the two most important things generally in, in, in to do that job, which is like, first of all, a good sense of humor, like good taste. And the secondly is your people, people, you know, like right. you know There's, how to talk to people. That, that is as sadly, <laughs> I mean, it, it is. I, I actually always loved dealing with people and work. It's like problem solving. Yeah. You know, which, so I, I did like that aspect of it. I used to watch, again, I'd watch rehearsals. I'd be in an office with, you know, Michael Gordon and, and Brian Rich or, uh, you know, Brian and Brian Kiley. And I'd watch rehearsal and I'd be, see Groff holding down the, the fort next to Conan with you. And I was just like, I can't, I'd say it every day that I can't think of a worse job than being head writer. Yeah. And, but then when I, I, they offered to me, I was like, you know, you feel like, well, you have to, I don't know. I feel like I, yeah, I had to say yes. So, you know, it's just like 
then it was trial by fire. Yeah, yeah. It's a big learning curve. But but it's just when things aren't going well in rehearsal, it's it's brutal. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? It's a weird job. It's also kind of like, I mean, and it's been, I mean, aside from trial lawyer, it's been your <laughs> professional life. Yeah, no, I, you know, what I'm and, saying, and oh, is that is that okay? Like, are you okay that you didn't become like a big star stand-up comedian or that oh, you didn't, you know? Yeah, you know what? It's like, I love doing stand-up. Um, but the second I started working on the Conan show, I, I also really loved shooting things and editing things. And I, I really enjoyed writing. I, I, I really found it fulfilling to hear you or Conan doing jokes that I wrote like that was, and having the audience laugh. Yeah. I never thought of it as being a TV show. I thought of it as we're putting on this show for this group of 200 people every day. Mm -hmm. And if which is a great way to think about it. Yeah, no, I never watched, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't go home and why I it, That was the experience to me Yeah, when we were taping it. And, no, I found it incredibly rewarding. Yeah. I, I no, I, I never, I had very, I like, I know so many comics that I worked with who had very, they're like, I'm going to have my own sitcom. I'm going to have this. They, they had a very strong sense. And I just, I like doing comedy and, 
you know, it was going well, but I didn't, I never had defined goals. So, you know, I got hired um, to do the warm up on Conan. And then that led to the writing job. And I just, once I started doing the writing gig, I, I really loved it. Um, and I love being head writer. I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like, I mean, it was, it was really fun. I mean, really fun. It's been, yeah, amazing. it's fun to be in charge oh of God, that. Yeah. But yeah. also, too, but I mean, but it's also, it's also difficult. I mean, it's also like Conan. I love Conan. Conan is like family, but there are days, you know, he's high strung and it's hard sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm, and how, how did you cope with sort of just the, and also too, there's just, you get sick of people. You know, you just get, when, when you're in proximity, working on that show is really like being trapped with someone working in a show like this because you're there for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. And I just wonder, how do you, uh, how would you deal with those kinds of moments when you like just get sick of each other? I mean, because Conan and I, I deal with it with each other. We have to talk, we've talked about right, it, you know? Right. But I, I, I think I love, just I've always loved everyone. You know what? For me, I, I like having been a lawyer and done all this other stuff, just being around other, you know, that, that term, like, you know, meet your own, no, hang out with your own people. I think just being around funny people every day was such a joy to me that I never got, I never got sick of anyone. I just was, I felt like I always felt like the luckiest person on the planet to be around really, really funny people and laughing, laughing all day. And, and so yeah, yeah, things would get tense and stuff, but I, there, um, well, you know what? Yeah, like sometimes Conan would be in a bad mood during a rehearsal and I I'd always think, "Oh, he, you know, I I let him down. I let him down. I'm letting down the show." And then sometimes later I'd find, "Oh, you know what? He had just done the prep for the interview that night and he he wasn't excited about the guest or the guest didn't have good ideas for their segment. And he carried that mood into rehearsal and he'd go, yeah. Or just there's other things going on in his life or other things going on in his life. But you know how you don't think that way at the time. You're just like, Oh God, what have I done? Yeah. Yeah. And believe me, there are tons of times. It was definitely me. It was my (laughs) fault, but I was excited to find out, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there were other, yes, other things pushing Conan's buttons. Cause it's crazy all the stuff he has to keep track in his mind for a show every night. You know, there's yeah. the interview, which, you know, no one else, everyone else deals with their own little silo and he has to kind of deal with everything, which, you know, is a big burden. So, yeah. Are but, there um, certain, are there yeah, certain, the few, if, oh, you, if we'd have arguments, I, I always treated it kind of like a marriage. Like I'd never want to go to bed angry. And so if I, we ever had, a B for anything. He and I were really good at just talking it out and resolving it. Cause it was yeah. never, it was always super minor. Yeah. 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 But it, it, it is not, weird. Nothing real. It is weird that he insisted that he sleep with you. And I know it was yes. weird. It was weird. And for you your know wife what? He's so years. different <laughs> in bed. Then he, he, he relaxes. Yeah. And uh, I'm the more high energy guy. And he <laughs> kind of just folds he, into He me. rolls with it. Oh, it's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, beautiful spooners are there i mean having are there moments or bits or things uh that you look back on with like 
more pride than you do of other things? Like what are the, your proudest things that you can think of that you do? Well, you know what? I, I liked when I was a writer because the great thing about that show is if you wrote something, you produced it and, and you know, you were responsible for creating it a bit from soup to nuts. So you really would feel ownership. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, you know, there, there are a lot of different things I did that, yes, I was proud of and they, they did well. And, and, you know, you, you know, the other writers liked it. That's all, that's all you really cared about. Like yeah. if the other writers and you and Conan like something. I didn't, I didn't even care. If you guys like something in rehearsal, I didn't even care if it didn't do well. Yeah, oh, well, you I, do yeah. care. You do care. You want the audience to like it right. too. Because then, you know, but, but um, that was the hard thing about being the head writer too, was that like, you know, like you'd add little bits to pieces on the show, but you never had that sense of ownership. You uh, know, it, it was more kind of helping out piecemeal. So, um, I, I was really proud of the head writer work, but it, it's funny. You don't, it's different than like, Oh, look what I wrote and made and your individual look, bits. Yeah. yeah. Like I did a thing a year ago. Like now I'm doing stuff like that again. Yeah. Like I made fun of, um, the, uh, um, what was that movie? I can't even remember the Irishman. I did oh, yeah. a parody of that. So, you know, and I like, I was pr- really proud of that when it was done. Cause I, felt like i did the whole thing myself so. and you're and the bits that you do now are kind of more produced than most bits are because you end up getting to have a little bit more time with them yeah, yeah. that's true and i i always yeah like for one of the trout like in ghana conan was talking you know the the artist who did a a um uh, sorry uh in ghana we talked to that artist who uh made a poster for the show and it yeah. was a crazy poster, a Ghanaian movie poster with you shooting a gun and, you know, Conan's um, Eisenhower mug with dripping blood and yeah, all sorts of axle or something. Right. Yeah. And, you know, like as we were shooting it, I was like, Oh, I Conan said, you know what? We're going to make this into a movie to the guy. And the second he said that I was like, Oh, let, we'll make a trailer for this. Yeah. And I just started grinding on that and that, you know, and then I, I just, I love shooting and editing stuff. I, I kind of like that more than live sketches in a way, just because mm-hmm. I, you can add all, so many more little tiny details and. You know, and there's a lot more control exactly. too. You get a lot yeah. more control than if you right. write something for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. him and me to butcher. Uh, right, 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 right. Um, I remember you and I did an early remote together. Uh, and this was typical of our late night experience. It was the elephants, the parade of the elephants. Oh, for, yeah, yeah. Remember that? The, the elephants, I, I think the train car that they came in was too big to go under the East River through the train tunnels. So they'd get out in Queens and then at midnight they would make a big deal and walk them into manhattan and into over to madison square garden yeah and you went to cover it it was one of the first remotes i did and and i just remember we came out the 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 elephants came out of the midtown tunnel you were making some quips about the elephants and then the elephants just took off and started heading to madison square garden we're like come on let's go and our cameraman's like um 
I, I can't run. I just had two knee operations a, a month ago. And we're just like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. I just love when things go wrong. Yeah. Well, we yeah, I think we ended up just like using footage of the elephants. And then I stepped in in front of a green screen. Exactly. And, and was like, hey, Pretending. we found out our cameraman had knee right. surgery, so we couldn't do this part. So right, this right. is fake. Yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah, that was, uh, that was a weird one. The one, the thing I really pull from that, remembering that one, because yeah, because they, and I don't even think it's a, I think they do it for fun. I think that they just get all the elephants off. It's Ringling Brothers. And yeah, they, yeah. they walk them through, uh, is it the Lincoln Tunnel that's on that the, side? The Midtown Tunnel. Midtown Tunnel. They walk them through the Midtown Tunnel. And so there's a bunch of people standing at the entrance to the Midtown Tunnel with about a, you know, probably a quarter of a mile between us and the actual mouth of the tunnel from where you right. can stand. And you see the elephants come out and there's a they're out in single file. And then when they come to the tunnel, they line them up and then they give them a command which they must have this be able to do this on command. Right. And every single elephant shits and pisses <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> and so right. there's all these people standing there waiting. And I, maybe uh-huh. some of them knew it was going to happen and they get the elephants all lined up and you think there's going to be some presentational thing. And then right. it's just like, kaboom. <laughs> and the wave of stench that hit people. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if we had it on camera, but it was just like, whoa like just a wall of elephant shit and piss stink yeah no i remember i think we shot it yeah i don't know if we shot anyone's reaction to it i think we were too in the cameraman was too shocked too entranced also he wasn't able to turn right right Uh, my hips don't work either i can't (laughs) i can't pivot okay great well uh what's i mean you know i mean we're now in kind of a weird and we've been in this area a little bit before kind of um yeah. before like where is the show going what's the show going to be right. and and there isn't really an answer to that uh as far as i know cuz i don't even think we know there's going to be a show on hbo max right and uh the tbs show will end in june but beyond right. that we don't really know we know it's going to no. be smaller we know but we don't know how much, what exactly the show is going to be like. And uh, I, I, by smaller, I mean, I think there might, there'll be less, I assume there'll be less episodes. Than there's, it'll be weekly. He's doing now. It'll be weekly. Right. Exactly. It'll be once, exactly. once a week. Yes. Yeah. So right. it'll be, but I mean, but I, I don't, you know, I just don't, well, it's smaller just in terms of vo- the volume of product. Right, know, that's, exactly. That's one thing. Right, right, right. But, right, I also, right, right, right. but I also don't think, I mean, I just, you know, it's as time has gone on, as I think Conan said in an interview once where, where somebody said something, I think it was in the New York Times, uh, maybe Dave Itzkoff or somebody, but he's he said, so was your plan to just, to just and this was, before too this was years ago he did this interview yeah. he said like so is your plan to just kind of have the show get smaller and smaller till it just gradually disappears <laughs> and conan was kind of like well yeah actually that's, sort <laughs> hey, that's of a great like, idea yeah, yeah that's sort of probably what it's going to be right, like and right. he, you know and i don't you know because he's we've done there's nothing to prove really and right. we've been doing this forever and yeah. he likes doing it that's why he's still doing it because he likes doing it because he's doing he's doing the podcast every week yeah and uh 
Yeah, I, I remember when we started the podcast. I was like, oh, is he just is he just gonna because podcast is hilarious and and it seems like it's it just an easier lift yeah. in terms of doing it. And um but no, he loves he loves being on TV and he loves television. Yeah. So. Well, how do you I mean, what is your game plan? Like are you just kind of I, staying in a kind of a reactive mode to what happens? Yeah. yeah. I've been I mean, this past year, especially not being involved in, like, I'm on the Zoom meetings with the other writers, which has been like a lifesaver for me, just because it's a daily dose of laughs and, and it's human been, contact, yeah, and human contact. And they, I mean, they're it's like I the greatest team. I mean, I just love everyone. Yeah, and so we're just laughing for the whole meeting, and then, um, but I'm not involved in like. You know, Matt, well, you know, you're there at Largo and it's like, what, seven people doing the whole show? Yeah, I think nine. I think it's like the okay. basic. And then right. two of those people are house people, you know, are like people that work at Largo, like Flanagan, Flanagan and, right. and Michael, who's the house guy. So, right, right. You know, so yeah, it's, it's three cameras, one sound, one prompter, one makeup. A makeup person? It. Okay. Yeah. And, and then uh, me and, and then Matt O'Brien, me and Matt O'Brien and Jeff Ross and Jeff Ross and, and Sona and you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you must, is that like a lifesaver for you? Just oh, in this time, just going, okay. It was, thank God. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it was so weird when it started out and we were doing, I was, I, I honestly felt like, well, first of all, I felt like I was retired because right. I was I, in my house with my dog and, and it wasn't like, and I kind of, you know, and, and like, I couldn't go a lot of places, which is like a lot of retired people. They have a limited yeah. income, so right, they can't right, go right. a lot of places. <laughs> right. So I kind of felt like this must be what it's like to be right. retired. But then I was getting, <laughs> you know, I'd get an email. Or with dead. Like, yeah, or dead. I'd get an email and it'd be like, here's this bit, you know, like it's a bit about, you right. know, like, uh, you using up the liquor in your liquor cabinet to make cocktails. Right. right. And they, I get the, you know, they'd send it to me. I'd rewrite. I actually, in a couple of instances would like go to the store and buy props. Right. I'd <laughs> film it on my phone or on my mm-hmm. computer. I'd just like set my computer, my laptop up, like facing right. wherever I was shooting. I'd shoot right. the bit. It would take me 20 minutes. I'd send it back. And then I'd be like, Oh, Okay, I'll just wait for another email in two days right. when I get the bit. And then I'd sometimes do Zoom things with him. But when he started at Largo, and then after a while, <laughs> there was there was a day, because I wasn't coming in every day. I was coming in every once in a while. And there was, right. like, somebody told me that there was a day where he's like, why isn't Andy in here every day? It's more <laughs> fun when he's here. And I'm like, well, just, you know, and then I immediately was getting texts, change of plan. You got to come in every day. Like, <laughs> Oh my! Oh my God! It was such a like turning point for me in this whole pandemic thing because I got to go out of the house, and even though it's a really short, like there are days when my actual work takes twenty minutes. Wow! You know, just like this, we get there and he's recorded somebody, and the bit that we do is just real quick, or right, or it's just us talking, and then it's like, okay, uh, that's it. Let's have some lunch and go it's, home. Yeah. It's weird. It's very weird, but it's fun. It was always so labor intensive. And yeah. Now, oh, no. And just being able to go, okay. Yep. Tomorrow, I'm back in back in the soup at Largo. Right, right. 
Yeah. I got to be at Largo by 1130 right. a.m. Right. And then no, done, you, by, it, done it, by 1240. <laughs> and it's, it's, you two are, you know, he's hilarious together. So it's, well, great. it's, I mean, I think that he's probably in this, you know, he probably sees more people than I do or just has more contact with people and he's doing the interviews and the podcast. Right. But, all but over yeah, Zoom. but we both, I think, are both just happy to. Yes, to, happy to be. It comes across. I, it really comes across. Good, <laughs> good, good. You're both kind of like pigs and shit. Like, oh my god, we're we're in the same. I'm in the same room with another person. Yeah, yeah. Even though he's forty feet away from. Yeah, me. yeah. No, that's that's great. Do you have yeah. any? Do you have uh, any any future sort of outside? Like, is there a screenplay I, you want to write? Uh, Does your no, you know I, your wife? Your wife is a very successful author. She's, uh, Cynthia Dupree Sweeney and yes, and, she just wrote her second book and and coming out April six. Do you get good uh, company? Does that give you any envy? Do you have like author envy? I am so no, I'm so excited and happy for her because yeah, I I again in in terms of being lucky, I realized being you know a selfish asshole. Like it, now I understand that for years she was like basically raising our two kids while i was at work every night like you know i we we were there till like midnight every it could night. be a very consuming job yeah yes and she was a very selfless about it and really generous and so when when she wrote her she went when we moved to la she went back to to school and got her mfa in fiction writing and then for her uh, senior thesis, she just, her professor said, you know what? I think this could be a novel. It, it started out as a short story and she just said, okay. And she just kept writing and writing. And it, and after two years, it was a novel and she sold it. And then she was going on book tours and I, I got to go on book tour with her. Oh, because, wow. I mean, that's, that's another reason I, I stopped being the head writer because i this book was coming out and i thought oh it would be really nice for me now to kind of be her wingman or yeah, just yeah. support her in any way i can and so for me it's it's been great i i've loved it and i've loved being i feel like i'm giving back a bit all the support she gave me i'm trying to give it back to her that's good yeah but, so but do you it, do you have any outs like is there a screenplay you're dying to write no there- i i again we talked or if someone comes and tells me I have to write a screenplay. I will write a screenplay. <laughs> I'm serious. Somebody, someone give me an assignment and I'll do right, it. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, su- supposedly, I, I again, it's show business and I never believe anything till it happens. But, you know, there are going to be more travel shows. So, yeah, in the future. But, um, you know, I mean, with the world the way it is and, and COVID and now there's a new, uh, you know, new evolving covid strains i mean i i i do feel very reactive i feel like everything is still very uncertain to me i i can't imagine things getting back to normal anytime soon yeah so yeah i don't know what's next i really that would, that's probably somebody wanting you to write a screenplay uh, <laughs> that would be great you better pick it up tell me um, right now what to write a screenplay about <laughs> well is there anything you do differently is there anything looking back you know that like you've learned from i mean maybe move out a little earlier from your mom's stay a trial lawyer yeah uh (laughs) yes oh my god yeah i was the angriest i was 
such an angry dick in my twenties at myself yeah. for like, just cause I didn't start my comedy career till I was like 29. Yeah. And I was like, I've, I just, what have I been doing? Yeah. You know? And I, I thought it was way too late to, to get any traction or do it. And, and, um, so yes, I'd move out a little earlier. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, but no, other than that, I'm, well, but would you say that that slow move gave you some perspective that you wouldn't have otherwise? Yes. Because you certainly have a lot more of a sort of wide meta view of the world and you are more accepting of the world than a lot of people I know, you know, and especially a lot of comedy people. Right. Um, and I think that that, you know, having lived through what you lived through probably – it's all kind of gravy to me. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? In a way. So, um, uh, uh, wait a minute. What was the question? Oh, oh yeah. No, I just, no, you know what? I just feel like I'm very lucky. Yeah. And I, you know, I've worked very hard. I, you know, I work hard, very hard, but, uh, but also just very, you know, lucky. Yeah. So, and yeah, you know what? I used to have a lot of regrets, about choices I didn't make and made. And I, that kind of melts away as you get older. Yeah. And I'm just like, Oh, well, like I, I now the fact as a trial lawyer kind of cracks me, <laughs> kind of cracks me up. It's, it was like a weird little side uh, project for six years. But um, no, it's true. I think the older you are, when, when things start to, take off the more obviously the more even keeled you are about it yeah don't you think oh absolutely yeah absolutely and i also yeah and it just i i always a friend of mine in chicago um she lived in this weird little sort of guest house behind a house and it was really strange i don't know what it had been but it was two stories yeah. it was like this little sort of cracker box house and it was right next to the l in uh -huh. sort of a weird confluence of alleys uh -huh. and she had a dog that was a stray that she'd gotten on the street uh -huh. and i was over at her house one day and her she left the gate open and there was like a, you know, you could see a straight shot down the alley for just blocks and blocks and blocks. Yeah. And the dog took off through the gate and, yeah. and it got outside the gate and she went, Hey, and it stopped and looked at the alley and looked back at her and looked back at the alley and then like slowly trotted back. <laughs> like it was like, it was kind of like, okay, I know what that's like. <laughs> And I know what back there is like. <laughs> I think I'm going to stay back there. And I think that that's, that's like, I think about that as being, there are people who have been in the alley. Like they, right. they know. And I, I mean, and in varying degrees, they've been in right. the alley, you know. But yeah. there's been hardship or, you know, like no yeah. glamour and dirt and right. filth. And and uh, you're like, hey, what are you bitching about? This is nice, you know. Right. Um. I mean, gra granted, I'm a, a world class bitch, but it doesn't mean anything. It's just, <laughs> it's just the steam I produce when my engine is going. Um, I'm happy to be a house dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, that's yeah. You know, I just, I think that, yeah, I think that people, 
that undergo some kind of hardship, and I at least especially with like in the silly ice cream candy mountain world of show business, right? That they experience some real life that they are usually the ones that aren't complaining that they've been in their trailer for three hours. You know, they're the ones that are like, I get my own fucking trailer. Like I get my own toilet. What? You know, like, (laughs) all right. You know, Uh, don't shit in it. It only pee. (laughs) I know. I know. No, no. And and a trailer, you you can shit in a trailer. You can't shit in a tour bus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's folks. Oh, see, I'm always learning stuff. No, no, a trailer you can shit in. You can shit in a trailer. Yeah. The, the, the Teamsters come and they, a guy comes and pumps it out. Oh, That's okay, fine. okay. Yeah, yeah. Those guys really complain. <laughs> <laughs> they have to clean it out. Yeah, they do. Well, Mike, thank you for uh, for coming. I mean, it's 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 kind of weird having you on just because. Yeah. Uh, I know you so well, and I. But I mean, I've had this before, you know, with other friends, and I. It is. Right. It's almost like a license to pry a little bit more than I. Would yeah, yeah, yeah. If you and I were just talking. Right. But um, I appreciate your time and for oh, your frankness, and I love you very pleasure. much. And you know, I love you. You certainly have made my life better in innumerable ways. And well, I'm now very you're lying. That. No, I'm not. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not. Seriously. Well, that's I mean, very not, sweet of you to you say. You know, at work. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. Right. You know, right. Right. I mean, and you, you know, you're, you have a nice house and you're a good cook. So I mean, that and, and, you know, my I, wife's a good cook. You're a good cook too. So. You are an amazing cook. Well, but thank we don't have you. Time to get into took that. you long enough. I'm sure you've. Oh my God! No one slow roasts pork like you do. <laughs> Hear that, ladies? Uh, <laughs> oh, you're you're an amazing cook. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I like, and you take pride in it too. I do. Like you you love it. It's. You know what else? You are an amazing. Uh, you are incredibly mechanically inclined. I don't know if people know that about Andy I, Richter. I yeah. I mean, I know. I like to. I, put things together i know how but i work. i learned i learned so much at work just from watching you because you're a great part of that is like problem solving and you're like you look at something and, you're, and you know you know how to fix it like you literally on the floor you would like if a prop was broken or something and and you mentioned teamsters you're not allowed to touch it yeah so but i i'd see you just go oh um the ballast is in the wrong place. If you move the, and they'd be like, Oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's very impressive. But the same thing with comedy, like, you know, you, if something wasn't working, you just kind of have a great mind for fixing it. Uh, yeah. I, it's probably yeah. the wrong thing to bring up at the very end of this. Podcast. No, that's, I listen, it's not, I'll take it whenever I can get it. Okay. Good. Um, yeah, no, I like to, I do. I, it is, I like the way things go together and they all are kind of connected, you know, whether yeah, it's, yeah, it cooking a meal is putting something together and writing a comedy bit is putting yep. something together and, yep. you know, managing well, a it, relationship is putting something <laughs> together. It's all, you know, everything, everything can be structural if you look yeah. at it that way. And, and then I find it helpful to make the best of things by looking yeah. at them structurally, you know, there you go. Yeah. Well, no, it's been a pleasure being your friend all these years. Yes. To work with you. Why? What are you? Are you dumping me? Yeah. Oh. Moving on. I'm getting back into bed with Conan. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope to see you again someday. Oh, yeah. That Where are you? Nice. Burbank? I'm in Burbank. I'll swing by. All right. We all right. can distance. Yeah. All right. Did, all right. Well, thank you so much. Sure, Mike. And um, and thank you all out there for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week. Bye-bye. 
with more blabbity blab. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It's produced by me, Kevin Bartelt, executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, associate produced by Jen Samples and Galitza Hayek, and engineered by Will Beckton. And if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.